0: Welcome to Make Me Your Voice with Pastor David Bartowell. These messages are intended to deepen your faith and trust in a living God who speaks to us with hope and reason. Today's message comes to us from the Gate Christian Bible Church in Orange County, California. Good morning. We're trying this Facebook Live. Can I say hi to people? Hi, people. We do this. Why do we do these things? Because we want more work to do. No, we're trying to reach people for Christ, right? You already know that Satan is referred to as the prince of this world, the prince of this air. So he's going to take advantage of all the technology already. We need to get right in there and try and take it from him, right? Today, we're going to continue through Exodus. Have you learned anything thus far? Because we're supposed to learn from Israel and like learn from their mistakes, not do them ourselves. Thanks to uh, Blair, our wonderful sound person. He gave me this list last week of school punishments from 1915. Now, let me just tell you this. I think we live in a culture now that where everyone gets triggered and offended and all these things. And I think this has caused problems. And so I'm not saying that we should go to this extreme from 1915, but I think the pendulum swung way to the other side as far as discipline and as far as respect of authority, right? But here's some punishments that in 1915, if you were a student in school, many of you would have experienced these lashes. They're called them lashes for boys and girls playing together, four lashes. Wow. Okay, quarrelling at school, five lashes. Gambling or betting at school, four lashes. That's weird, right? So gambling is less than quarreling. Here's the worst one. Playing cards at school, 10 lashes. Drinking liquor at school is only eight. I mean, compared to playing cards. Okay, women and maybe men, I don't know. Wearing long fingernails, two lashes. For going to girls' play places, three lashes. Girls going to boys' play places, three lashes. And here's my favorite one. For going about the barn or doing any mischief about the place, seven lashes. Now, I grew up in a time where they actually used paddles in school. And right now, I'm probably offending a lot of people. But here's the thing. That was the way it was. Again, I think we don't need to be doing that, but I think all of Discipline shouldn't be thrown out. I think there should be discipline because it causes people to not respect authority. I remember in junior high, we feared the paddle with the aerodynamic holes, you know, so we're like, you can not have the wind resistance to smack you on the behind. We are talking today about the God who reprimands. We're going to see this incredible story of Israel, what we shouldn't do. But we have to understand that God is our Father, and He disciplines those whom He loves. Now, there's a difference between discipline and punishment. Punishment is payment for your past behavior, and it produces guilt and shame. But discipline is training for future behavior and produces perseverance. Now, we're going to see both. Okay, We're going to see discipline, and we're going to see punishment in this passages. Because here's the bottom line. Anyone who has not received Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, are outside of Christ. Therefore, they're outside of God's grace, His specific grace for those who believe in Jesus Christ. They're outside of God's forgiveness, more specifically. Therefore, in Ephesians 2, it says that we were once objects of wrath. So we were under God's wrath. Thank God we're not under God's wrath, because God's wrath is a serious thing. We're under God's grace. We're objects of mercy now. But Israel was referred to as obstinate people, literally stiff-necked, stubborn people. And people like this are rebellious towards God. And they don't like to be disciplined, and they don't like to be convicted about certain things. So today we're going to look at Exodus 32. Turn your Bible there the making of an idol, and this is the golden calf. So we start off here in Exodus 32, verse 1. Now, when the people saw that Moses delayed to come down from the mountain, the people assembled with Aaron and said to him, Come, make us a God who will go before us. As for this Moses, the man who brought us up from the land of Egypt, we don't know where he is. We don't know what happened to him. Remember, Moses on the mountaintop with God, And he's 40 days and 40 nights receiving the Ten Commandments. He's receiving instruction about worship in the temple, the tabernacle, and how the priests are supposed to be dressed, and all these important things. So he's on the mountaintop, having a mountaintop experience with God. All of a sudden, the scene changes. The people become restless. Moses is gone for so long. It's been 40 days. We don't know what happened to him. Maybe he's dead. So they're like, Where is Moses? And they're, Where is God? And what should we do? I don't have an idea. Let's make an idol. Philip Graham Riken writes Their doubts became murmurs, and their murmurs became complaints, until finally they decided to take matters into their own hands. They went to Aaron, who's going to be ordained as the high priest, who is second in command. I love what he writes in there the associate pastor. <laughs> if you will, and said they wanted to make a few changes in their worship service. So they told him to get busy making a new deity. So Aaron very obediently made the only kind of God he knew how to make a golden idol fashioned in the shape of a young bull because the Egyptians worshipped a bunch of bovine gods and different animals covered with gold. So remember, Israel is coming out of that world and into a world where God is going to call them his own and say, you only have one God, not multiple gods, and don't worship other gods, and don't make idols of other things. But Israel, what happened to them? They forgot what happened. They forgot how God rescued them. It's only 40 days. It's not like it's a year. Dull memories. It's only been a month. But there's a couple things to notice. When there's a lack of leadership, because Moses is gone and Aaron's left there, <laughs> obviously he couldn't control the people. So when there's a lack of leadership, the Bible says people perish. Proverbs 29:18, read that with me. Where there is no vision, the people perish. So where there's no vision, no leadership, the people perish. How about when there's a lack of teaching the people perish, right? Proverbs 9:10, read it with me. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. So they weren't being led, shepherded. They weren't being taught. The best, easiest, quickest way to start making idols is detach from church, and detach from learning the Bible, and detach from having a shepherd. You're going to get eaten alive, and you're going to start making idols. I mean, we're going to make idols anyway, but let's not give the devil a bigger foothold just by detaching. Too much idle time leads to idle time. If you're not busy serving and growing in the Lord and being connected in fellowship and being brought up in training in God's grace, you're going to have too much time. You know, there's a saying, idle hands are the devil's workshop, right? So we need to not be like Israel. They just had too much time in their hands, so they're like, let's make an idol. Next, too little leadership leads to making of idols. Leadership is lacking. So in verse 2, Israel says, We don't know what became of Moses. Aaron says to them, So Aaron is like, <laughs> I don't know what's going on with Aaron. Remember, he's Moses' brother. But Aaron says to them, All right, give me all your gold rings and your earrings. Take it off your wives, your sons, your daughters, and bring them to me. He's like facilitating false worship. And he's going to be the high priest. What I see happening with Aaron is he's not a strong enough leader. See, Aaron was like supposed to be the second guy behind Moses. And he was going to be the one that was running the tabernacle and doing all that stuff. But he wasn't called to be the shepherd, the leader. So there's a different calling. Remember, it was Moses that begged God, please send somebody else. I don't want to do this. How about my brother Aaron? He's a way better speaker than me. So send him. Be careful what you ask for. So although Moses had his own vices, we're going to find out, Aaron was basically promoting idolatry only like a month later after Moses went up to the mountain to get the Ten Commandments. And remember, Israel said to Moses and to God, we agree to do everything God says. So they're falling way short. Leadership, what's leadership? Well, first of all, I think I told you every Christian is a leader because we're supposed to be bring salt to the earth and light to the world. So those are leadership things. But if you think of leadership as setting its thermostat, you can set the thermostat at different degrees, Right? You can set it at a good temperature or you can set it at a bad temperature. You could be a good leader. You could be a bad leader. But there's a greater responsibility for Moses than Aaron. Because Moses is the leader of the entire nation. Think of him as the pastor of the local church. In this case, it's a huge church, Israel. But each church has their pastor. That's why it's really important to pray for your pastor. We don't want to be going, hey, give me your gold, you know. Well, you can give me your gold, but we don't want to be making idols out of it, all right? (laughs) In John 10, Jesus says something really important. He says, you know, I'm the good shepherd who lays down his life for the sheep. He says, the one who is not the shepherd, they just leave the sheep to the wolves. They don't really care. I mean, they care, but it's not to that responsibility like, oh my gosh, this is my calling. God has called me to lead these people. You know, there's times where in the middle of the night, I wake up and I pray and I pray for you and I pray for our church. And there's literal times where I've cried out to God, God, what is going on? And from the moment this church was born, there was battles, spiritual battles and distractions and idols all over the place, and I'm like, God, I didn't sign up to do this, but yet you called me to do this, and if it's not me who's in the middle of the night praying and and planning and seeking the Lord for vision, who will? I'm not demeaning you. You guys are awesome, but isn't there a higher responsibility for the one that God has called to be the shepherd, but we should all be guarding the gate of the sheep pen. We shouldn't let idol, idolatry and false worship into, our, into God's midst. Moses wasn't perfect, but at least he took his calling to be the pastor of Israel seriously. So here we see Aaron not only allowing idolatry, he's promoting it. He's like, give me your gold. He should have been collecting the gold for the offering for the tabernacle. Instead, he's building a cow. Next, too much corruption leads to the making of idols. A lot of corruption going on here. So if we start in verse 3 of Exodus 32. So what do the people do? They willingly come and give Aaron their gold. So he takes their gold and he makes this calf, a gold calf. And Israel says, now this is incredibly corrupt. This is your God, O Israel, who brought you up from the land of Egypt. A cow? Now when Aaron saw this, he built an altar to worship it. And Aaron made a proclamation and said, Tomorrow shall be a feast to Yahweh. So the next day they rose early and offered burnt offerings and brought peace offerings. And those people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. Now every heart is deceitfully wicked. Every heart... Longs for meaning every person's heart longs to belong and longs to be loved We can't sit here and judge israel without looking At the own log in our own eye because we If our heart is not aligned with the lord and with yahweh and his word Then we're going to drift just like israel and we might not build a gold calf But we're going to be making idols. We're going to be buying idols. We're going to be promoting idols Let's say that 30 years or 100 years from now, they excavated your house and they saw what was in your house. How many TVs do we have in there? Gee, I mean, it's like, how many TVs? Ton of TVs. Oh, they must have like worship TVs or something, right? So we just got to be thinking about this because following your heart can be a recipe for disaster. You ever heard the addict who says, This is the last time I'm going to do this. You know, this time I mean it. And then long after that, they fall off the wagon. Why? Because the problem is not rooted in their behavior. The problem is rooted in our hearts. The sin is not in the refrigerator. The sin is not at the local bar. The sin is not on the internet. Those are temptations. The sin and corruption is in our heart. And it comes out. Philip Riken says, Why did the Israelites worship a cow? Because they had never entirely forsaken the gods of Egypt. They had promised to serve the Lord their God, but in their hearts they still loved their old idols. So what gods, small g, from Egypt do you still love more than God? The New Testament speaks of this in Acts 7.39. It says, Our fathers were unwilling to be obedient to Moses, but repudiated him in their hearts because they wanted to turn back to Egypt. That's what's going on. And after all God did for them, after all Moses did for them, they were willing to throw it away and head back to the place of death, slavery, sin, and destruction. And it's really astounding to see how quickly Israel went there. But if not for the grace of God, we'd all be there. Why? Because Israel forgot their rescue. Remember, I told you, don't forget your rescue. How God rescued you. Remember that always. Share your testimony. You know how many times I've been able to share my testimony because I know it in my heart, and I don't want to forget it. So don't forget your rescue. Exodus 32, 6 that I read, this is an important verse. So the next day they rose early and offered burnt offerings and brought peace offerings, and the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. So what's this called? It's called fake worship. All right? Moses was being instructed for proper worship, but this turns into a cult. In fact, Paul writes, even if we are an angel from heaven, should preach to you a gospel contrary to what we have preached to you, he is to be cursed, because you're worshiping the golden calf. In Exodus 20, 24, before this happens, it says, God says, You shall make an altar of earth for me, and you shall sacrifice on it your burnt offerings and your peace offerings, your sheep and your oxen. The oxen was supposed to be sacrificed to God. That was their money, their material wealth. But what were they doing? They were worshiping their material wealth. That's basically what they're doing. So the oxen should have been sacrificed. But now it's being worshipped. And by the way, I was in India. And I'll never forget, we were in Calcutta. We were driving around. I'm like, why are there so many cows in the street? Do You know, they worship cows. That's why this saying holy cow came from. Seriously, that's how holy cow... Because Hindu worship involves the worship of cows. Because they represent nurturing and milk provision, those kind of things. Verse 6, so again, the people sat down to eat and to drink and rose up to play. That's an interesting word. It can mean different things. It can mean have fun. It can mean that they were dancing. But it can also mean they were having a drunken, immoral orgy. There was sexual immorality. Turn to the New Testament. Go to 1 Corinthians chapter 10. Because the Apostle Paul refers exactly to what's going on here. So we have better understanding of what's going on. The Corinthian church, do you know what was going on there? They were divisive. They were having big problems. And there was a person in the church that was deep into sexual immorality. And Paul said, you need to cast him out and let Satan get a hold of him so that he'll get saved. So that's behind this. In 1 Corinthians 10, because this is later in the letter, Paul's writing, For I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that our fathers were all under the cloud. so he's referring to Israel, and all passed through the sea and were all baptized into Moses. So in other words, they united with Moses in the cloud and in the sea and all ate the same spiritual food and all drank the same spiritual drink. For they were drinking from a spiritual rock which followed them, and the rock was Christ. Nevertheless, With most of them, God was not well pleased, for they were laid low, or they were struck down in the wilderness. Now these things happened as examples for us. Paul literally says in the letter, what happened to Israel are examples for us so that we would not crave evil things as they craved. Do not be idolaters as some of them were. As it is written, and he quotes directly from this, the people sat down to eat and drink and stood up to play. And then he explains that, nor let us act immorally as some of them did. And remember, he's speaking about immorality in general, but also he's including sexual immorality. And 23,000 fell in one day. Nor let us test the Lord as some of them did and were destroyed by the serpents. That's later in numbers. For grumble as some of them did and were destroyed by the destroyer, which is the angel of death. Now these things happen to them as an example, again he says, and they were written for our instruction upon whom the ends of the ages have come. That's why I do this whole thing at the end called finding yourself in the story because we're supposed to learn from their example and be instructed by what God is teaching them because it relates to us. So we learn the great lesson from this passage, what is it? You ready? Don't have a cow, <laughs> because we're well, going to see in a minute Moses' anger breaks the commandments. Okay, so there is a connection there. The golden calf could never take the place of Yahweh. It could never offer them anything except the opportunity to play. And not be disciplined. So they wanted to play and not be disciplined. That's not a good recipe for anything. Okay. Second Timothy 4 3 is a verse that I think relates to us today, but I think it also related to Aaron. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but wanting to have their ears tickled, the people will accumulate for themselves teachers of their own desires. What they're saying is Aaron, we want you to lead us. You like to have fun. That Moses guy, he's intense. You know, that pastor, let's go have our own little thing over here. Oh, the pastor's coming. Shh. You know, it shouldn't have feel that way with me, right? I mean, I'm not that intense, but they were literally intense. But that was, the, story could have, the story could have gotten really ugly if not for God's intervention. Exodus 32:7. then the Lord spoke to Moses, go down at once. For your people, I love this, whom you brought up from the land of Egypt have corrupted themselves. Was God pawning them off of Moses? Here you have them. <laughs> kind of, but not exactly. He's reminding Moses that, hey, Moses, you're the leader. You deal with him. You go deal with him, Moses, because you're intense. I'm intense. Okay. And so Hebrews 13, 17 says, this is why it's so important when we read this, Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Moses had to give an account for how well or how not so well he handled his calling. And we all do that. We all have that. Let them do this. So he's saying to the church, let the leaders do that. Let them lead with joy, without groaning, for that would be no advantage to you. If you're like, causing the leader to have to put fires out all the time and not have the vision and keep focused on the vision and the instruction of the word. Do we all know that Israel were complainers, right? They're grumblers, and they were stiff-necked. So going on, Exodus 32, starting in verse 8, where we left off. They have quickly turned aside from the way which I commanded them. They have made for themselves a molten calf, And have worshipped it and have sacrificed. So God is revealing to Moses what they're doing. Because Moses doesn't know. He's on the mountain, but God knows all things. He says, I've seen the people. Behold, they are obstinate, literally stiff-necked. Then let me alone. Here's where it gets really dangerous. That my anger may burn against them so that I will destroy them. And Moses, I'll make you a great nation. That's how angry God is at this, false worship and idolatry. God could have done that, right? He promised Abraham he's going to be a great nation, and it was supposed to come through Israel, which it could have, but God could have started over with another Israel. I mean, he did that with Noah, but Israel was stiff-necked. And so we see here later in verse 35 of chapter 2, God did It says, Yahweh smote or punished the people with a plague because of what they did with the calf, which Aaron had made. They were all punished and some of them died. So now we're going to talk about God's reprimand, which is his rebuke. And the first thing we have to know is that God gets angry because a lot of people don't look at this part of God's character. We want to say God is a loving and merciful God, which he is. But in order to be loving and merciful, he has to be just, and he has to hate evil. Personally, I'm glad that God gets angry at things, because there are many things I see happening in this world, and if I didn't think God got angry at evil, I'd just feel like, what's worth here? You know what I mean? What's going on? But God says, let me take vengeance. He's way better at it. But he hates evil. He hates sin. That's why he sent his son to the cross to die for our sin so that we didn't have to die for our sin. And the Exodus 32 10 says, let me alone. My anger may burn against them and I may destroy them and I will make you a great nation. So remember, the Mosaic covenant was a bilateral covenant. It was conditional as to whether Israel would obey God's word. Did Israel obey God's word? Some made it through, right? Remember Joshua and Caleb? They got to go into the promised land. But then if you continue reading, I mean, there's some good kings, some bad leaders, good leaders, sin, and then God had to put them in captivity. This is also that we learn from God because God hates sin. And so he has brought along believers that believe God, like Abraham believed God, if you believe God and you've trusted in the Son, Jesus Christ, your sin is taken away and it's covered by the blood of Jesus. Thank God for that, because we'd be smote. The Nelson New Illustrated Bible says, God's wrath is an expression of his holy love. God is not a God of wrath. His love is no more than frail, worthless sentimentality. The concept of mercy is meaningless, and the cross was a cruel and unnecessary experience for his son if God doesn't have wrath and penalty. But Israel took advantage of God, and it took advantage of God's love many times, and how many times do we? But Moses here, now we're going to see a side of Moses that's incredible. He's going to stand up for Israel. God responds to prayer. God responds to prayer. So what does Moses do in verse 11 of Exodus 32? So Moses entreated or begged God and said, Oh, Yahweh, why does your anger burn against your people? Remember when God said to Moses, Go down to your people. They're your people. Now Moses saying, Why is your anger burning against your people, whom you have brought out of the land of Egypt? I love this intimacy, with great power and with a mighty hand. And then he says, why should the Egyptians mock you, basically? Because you, the ones that rescued him, now you're going to kill them? The ones you rescued? So please turn from your burning anger, O oh Lord. Change your mind. Remember Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, or Israel, your servants to whom you swore, I will multiply your descendants as the stars of heaven and all this land which I've spoken, I've given to you. So he's given the whole backstory. Like God doesn't remember that, but Moses does, which is cool. And then so verse 14. So the Lord changed his mind about the harm which he said he would do to his people. That's an interesting verse. It says the Lord changed his mind. It can mean relented about the harm which he said he would do. Is God sovereign? Is God's will the ultimate will? Am I a robot? Do I have free will? Okay, all that's true, right? So if God relents, does that mean that he changed his will? No. Does that mean that it's not according to his sovereignty that he did that? No. God's plan always worked out according to his sovereign will. But here's the thing. How he works it out and accomplishes it is up to his will too. So God relented. He did not do what he threatened, which was destruction, but he did not do anything. He punished them with a plague. Now, here's the question Did God know that Moses was going to beg him to change his mind? Okay. So everything's happening according to plan. God is just doing it out in the open for us to see. It doesn't mean that he's not sovereign and his will's not sovereign. He already knew. And it also doesn't mean he didn't do anything. He did punish them, but he didn't destroy them. This is incredibly amazing because what we can see, if we're supposed to learn from Israel and Moses, is we can talk to God about all these things. And if something happens a certain way, it doesn't mean that God didn't plan it that way before the time ever began. It just means that you get to be a part of that. So that's why when we pray and we evangelize and we invite people to church and we share our invitations and we share Facebook Live and we share all these things, what we're doing, we know God already knows who's going to get saved. But we got to be a part of it and go, oh, wow, I got to be a part. Moses is like, oh, my gosh, I got to be a part of saving Israel from destruction. But God knew ahead of time he was going to punish them, but he wasn't going to destroy them because there's two sides to the coin. But what's amazing to me is Moses is pretty loving and merciful towards these obstinate people who are going to drive him nuts for 40 years. That's the next feeling. God is merciful. God is merciful. So we're going to pick up in verse 15. Then Moses turned and went down from the mountain with the two tablets of the testimony or the commandments in his hand, tablets which were written on both sides. They were written on one side and the other. The tablets were God's work And the writing was God's writing. Okay, so he engraved it. Now, when Joshua heard the sound of the people as they shouted, he said to Moses, so Joshua must have been like a point man in between. He says, there's a sound of war in the camp, and it's not good. It's the sound of a cry. What is it? Is it a sound of singing? So Joshua's like going, Moses, there's a problem. I'm glad you're coming down. But here's why God's merciful. God could have changed his entire mind about the covenant. And just start it over with Moses, but because these people are so obstinate, but he doesn't. He sends Moses to town with the commandments, with the covenant. There is something called divine judgment. Then when someone rebels and rejects God's will, in our case, we know the gospel, which is to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. Confess him as Lord and believe in our heart that God rose and raised from the dead. That's Romans 10, 9. We know the gospel. When people reject that, there is something called divine judgment. So the question should never be, why does God send people to hell? The question should be, why would he not? We can't diminish divine judgment because if God is love, he has to hate evil. He has to judge sin. The awesome thing is Jesus Christ was judged for our sin. But when someone rejects that, they're saying, I want to be judged for my own sin. That's bad. That's not going to work out well. Now, the narrative shifts from God's righteous anger to Moses' anger problem. We've already seen Moses get angry, right? He killed somebody. That's like extreme anger. Later in the story, we're going to see that he struck the rock Instead of speak to the rock, and that act of not trusting God kept him out of the promised land on earth. He got to be with the Lord. We also can agree that God uses imperfect people, right? We've already seen that Abraham's a liar. He lied about Sarah, remember? Jacob was a cheater. Noah got drunk. David was an adulterer. Israel was obstinate. And Moses got angry. So finding yourself in the story, the problem with anger, number one, anger can be an idol. Anger can be an idol because the Bible says, be angry. So anger in itself is an emotion. Actually, God gets angry, but do not sin. To sin is to miss the mark. So what would cause someone to miss the mark with regards to anger? It's how it's behaved, how you behave, how you act it out. Angry people can act it out all different ways. Some are passive aggressive where they hold it all in and then they expect you to weed their mind and they can hold anger towards you. You never know why. But Then there's like people who lose their temper and have outbursts. When I was young, I've struggled with this my whole life, is anger because no one told me or taught me how to deal with it. Now what I do is I tell God how angry I am. And I feel better. I'm a very imperfect person, obviously. So it's a battle. But when someone gets angry, then it can cause a lot of problems. Ephesians 4 26 through 27 says, Be angry, do not sin. Here's how the sin comes about do not let the sun go down in your anger, because then you're going to give the devil a place. That word topos, opportunity, topos, topography, a place. So, how do you give the devil a place? You don't talk about it. You don't deal with it. You just sleep on it. And when you sleep on it, it grows into bitterness. Ephesians 4.31 says, Get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling, and slander, along with every form of malice. Because unresolved anger turns into bitterness, which doesn't make you better. It makes you bitter. And this anger comes from unresolved feelings of guilt, shame, fear, regrets, Things that you thought should have happened a certain way but happened a different way and you have never dealt with it and it comes out and it can cause not only problems with other people, it can cause physical illness and mental illness, depression. A lot of causes of depression is undealt with anger. Here's the thing, you have direct access to a person that can take anything you want to say. And then you have to have other people in your life that you can be honest with, that you can talk it out, confess your sins to one another so that you will be healed. I wonder as a kid, because I didn't know God's grace, I always felt God was angry at me and everybody else was angry at me. So I just became angry. They're angry at me. I'm just going to be angry, you know? And I wonder if I knew God's love and grace like I do now, if I wouldn't have developed that pattern. So if you know God's love and grace, you know. You don't have to have that idol of anger because the Bible is very specific about not letting it root and get bitter. I wonder if Moses wasn't free from his past, like set free. Remember, he had a incredible difficult life. Not at first, he was in the palace. But remember, he was almost killed and he was put in a basket to go down the Nile River and was like, adopted by the king of egypt and their family and he grew up but then one day he goes and kills somebody because he sees that the egyptians are beating up his fellow hebrew and then he has to run into the wilderness for 40 years he's a shepherd with a sheep he was in the palace then he has like this incredible experience with god in a burning bush and god saying oh yeah i'm going to use you moses to free my people and moses like i don't want to do that why do i have to do that And then he finally does it. And then he inherited the worst congregants in the history of the church. The next thing is anger breaks things. So Moses descends from the mountaintop experience with God and he looks and he sees the church defaming the name of Yahweh. This should make every person and every pastor really angry. So in verse 19 to 32, it came about as soon as Moses came near the camp that he saw the calf and the dancing and Moses' anger burn. Totally understandable. After all God had done, and after all I have done for you, I'm sure some of that's going on, you're going to do this? We've all felt this, whether it be in our family. I've experienced this in the church situation, where all hell breaks loose, basically. And you're like, God, what is going on? What are these people doing? What does Moses do? He throws down the tablets from his hands and breaks them, shatters them at the foot of the mountain. He literally broke the commandments. And next week, we're going to talk about the God who restores. God's going to give him a second set. But we're seeing here Moses incredibly angry. He throws the commandments. They shatter at the foot of the mountain. A lot of commentators don't deal with Moses' anger for some reason. I don't know why, but we have to look at this for what it is. I mean, he broke the covenant, literally. And when someone would do this, they were as good as dead. Moses is having an incredibly emotional human experience. And when we let our anger burn and become bitter, we break things. We break people, we break families, we break marriages, we break churches, we break ministries. So we can't miss this part of the story. But the good news is that anger can be controlled by God's Spirit. We have to submit to God and His Word and His Spirit. So Moses comes, he destroys the calf. He ruins Israel's party. He rebukes Aaron. Many people died because of their sin. Plague was sent. But we can't miss God's Spirit in this because Moses, as angry as he was, still loved Israel, still loved his family, and still loved his church and he let God deal with them. Ephesians 4.30, we're going to end with this. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling, and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another. That's how you break the cycle. Forgiving one another as in Christ God forgave you. That's the key to freedom. To not be obstinate, to not be stiff-necked, to be moldable, pliable by the Holy Spirit of God. And yes, you're going to mess up. Yes, you're going to break some things sometimes, but you're going to get up and you're going to trust God and you're going to apologize to the people that you hurt and you're going to love God and you're going to love God's people and you're going to have a life of freedom because you're not going to have that idol hanging over your head. I know it's not an easy thing. And here's the thing. Moses broke, literally threw down the commandments, but Moses represented the people who had broke the commandments. He was their representative. So it's actually a picture of Israel breaking the commandments. We're going to ask God, Lord, thank you so much that you're a loving, merciful God. Thank you that you're a just God who gets angry at sin and evil. Because when we look at the world, Lord, we go, how can this be happening But Lord, we know one day everything is going to be leveled out on the scales of justice. But we thank you that Jesus Christ, your son, who kept all the commandments, in fact, fulfilled every single one of them, Lord, he went to the cross. He took the death penalty. All the sin of the world was placed on him so that we could be set free. Lord, I know a lot is happening in this room today by your spirit. I know in my heart, Lord. And Lord, I want to confess our sin to you of idolatry. That we've made our own calves, golden calves. We have things that have been substituted for you, which have become idols. And Lord, I pray we give them up at the altar at the foot of the mountain. And that we would allow your love and your spirit to minister, to heal us from the inside out. Our minds, our hearts, our bodies. You're doing incredible work, Lord, in this church. And I pray, Father, that we would take you and your name to the world and lift it up high so that people can know that you are Yahweh, the great I am. And you have an incredible plan for people who will just submit their lives to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Pastor David Bardowell's message reminds us that God speaks to us with hope and reason so that we can be His voice in this world. Please join us again for Make Me Your Voice, a ministry of the Gate Christian Bible Church in Orange County, California. We would love to have you visit if you're in the area. For more information or to find our location, please visit thegateoc.com.